0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters Podcast. I'm Arnold Rejar, founder of Sports Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Moon Chief Strategy Officer of the San Francisco 49ers. We will speak about the drive to innovate as a way of life and success, from skydiving to wing-walking. He manages to work with patient in his tenth season with the 49ers, where he has made quite a difference. Moon, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to share with me and with us, uh, with the SIS community. We will be together about an hour to share about your experience, the path that took you to lead the San Francisco 49ers strategy, which is not nothing, and why you are passionate about innovation and creating. The topic today, quite profound, no human is limited, the so drive to innovate. So I guess you're one example of that. No Human is Limited. And you're now in your 10th season with the 49ers, currently as Chief Strategy Officer, overseeing different areas, a lot, I would say, (laughs) and corporate development to drive outside revenues. You've won lots of awards. I won't go into details, but you're an award winner uh, for different programs and innovations, such as the Executive Huddle, we're going to go back into that, but I could say you are passionate about launching new initiatives that can drive value. Uh, So we're going to go back to that. But right now, before speaking about what you do now and what you envision for the future, uh, I would love to go back in time. I mean, you work in the Silicon Valley, but you're from Cleveland and you graduated from the University of Chicago School of Business. So tell me about those years that are a big part of what you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Arnold, thanks for having me here. I always love chatting with you and looking forward to the next hour together. <laughs> um, if I started chatting a little bit about my my younger years, I grew up in Cleveland and I was a big Cleveland sports fan. Uh, I used to go to lots of Cleveland sports games, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers games and Cleveland Browns games with my dad growing up as a kid. And that was, those were some of the best memories I had with my dad. So as, as a young child, I was definitely hooked on sports. And I've met a lot of of other sports professionals from Cleveland. So there must be something in the water there that really drives people to to work in sports as well. Some of my earliest memories in sports involved me running. I ran cross country and I I, I was pretty competitive um, within our state and running and our coach in in particular taught me a lot of discipline, um, taught me a lot of organization. And um, he taught me how to have fun as well and taught me that there is more to life than um, really just one one focus and one particular pursuit. And he, he really um, challenged me to become a well-rounded person. And so I think he uh, challenged me to explore other activities and other areas. And that was really helpful for me in my early years of my, my life. I then went on and moved to Chicago. And I really liked Chicago a lot. It was pretty close to home. It was about an hour flight, but yet far enough to where I could, uh, you know, spread my wings and, and, and get out there a little bit. While I was in uh, undergrad, I majored in psychology and economics. I really loved it. Uh, psychology in particular, I thought it was just very fascinating. Um, economics, I loved the, ra- the rational and logical approach to it uh, in particular. And then you know from there, I spent a, spent a good my early part of my career in strategy consulting and private equity. and those two, in particular I felt were great training grounds and provided a great base for me for my future years.
0: So you didn't know at the beginning you wanted to work in sports so when you when you studied psychology and economics, which for European, for example it's quite uncommon uh, if you study psychology you're going to be upset that's it <laughs> yeah uh, so when you started doing this what what did you have in mind? what were you looking for?
1: yeah, Arno, that's a great question and the honest answer is I, I didn't know you know when I was okay. younger. Um, I think I had goals of being a lawyer or being being the president um, of the U.S. one day. Uh, you know, when I got into college and started studying it, I just was learning. Uh, I, I think even my friends will tell you today that I, I definitely have a passion for learning and, and understanding new things. And so I was just taking it all in when I was uh, in my younger years. It wasn't until I was about the age of 30 that I realized that I could work in sports. Um, but prior to that, I, I was really just trying to figure it out, trying to build um, build my skill set, build my tool arsenal until I had found the moment where I I realized that this is what I wanted to do.
0: Cool. Uh, And so you started working, if I'm not mistaken, with an equity fund, uh, not in sport, in healthcare. Uh, How was it interesting for you?
1: It was very interesting. Um, My sister and a lot of my friends are physicians. And I'm not a physician, but it really helped me to understand what they were doing, and it created a lot of uh, really interesting conversations around the dinner table, which I really did enjoy as well. I I thought it was really important to work in healthcare at the time because I felt that I could be impacting a lot of people in in a good way, and I could create a good for the world and and, and some great change. Um, You know, while while I I think I did there, and we we invested in some great companies, one thing that was definitely always clear as well is we were just very focused on making a lot of money all the time. And and that maybe didn't resonate with me as much being my primary purpose.
0: Yes, That's, that goes to a debate, which is very common on you know VCs and sport. Um, it's a bit of a deviation about the conversation that we will have, but it's you know, a goal, uh, this ultimate goal of making quick money with the VCs and sport. What do you think what is your feeling about that
1: i think that a, a good a good vc firm or a good pe firm will look to create long-term value in a company so there, there there's multiple different vc models that you could have and there definitely are those companies that look to come in and and i think it was more common historically that they'd, they'd raid the company um take out take out a lot of the cost structure and um then sell it for a little bit, bit of a profit um today you, if you find the right partners, private equity firms can add a lot of value, and, and VC firms, a lot of the value, I think, can be found in actually the board. And so if the VC firm is able to go, to build a good board and to provide good guidance and challenge the teams, um, companies, leagues in, in a way that they um, have not been challenged um, and can provide a different perspective and view, I think it can be additive. But it is it's, it's a dance that you have to find the right partner. And the partner is not always the one that has the most money. It's, it's the right partner for you.
0: Interesting. We're going to go back to that after because it's part of the things you do with the 49ers. So you worked in a, in VC in healthcare. Then you be, uh, at one moment, you became an, an entrepreneur.
1: I did. I did. I really talk about those those days. It was, it was a quick three years of my life. Um, and the, the startup did end up in, in failure, although it was a great experience. And um, it was a fun time of my life. Um, we did not survive, which which ultimately led me to make her at the 49ers. So I think maybe you could call it success in that way. But it was it was a good time in my life for sure.
0: Tell me more about that. What were you doing and what did you learn from that that you're still using?
1: Yeah, so we were we were called Snap It App and I um, co-founded the company with my brother-in-law, Jim Caruso. And the app was predicated on mobile gifting solutions. So this was back in 2010. And we're building on the iPhone 4, and we're effectively working out mobile gift cards. So I don't know if you want to send me a gift card, you wouldn't have to send me a physical gift card. You could send me an electronic gift card. And this was 2010, so the, the concept was a little novel at that point. Um, and we had focused a lot on colleges. So our, our thought process was if we focused on a smaller market, parents to students type of relationship we could send them gift cards, um, that we might be able to capture that market. Um, overall, I learned a, f- a few things during that process, um, the biggest of which was really just centered around how to manage people. And so I was CEO of the, the startup, and I don't think I was a very good manager, and I think that that's why the startup failed. I was very challenging and very difficult on our employees. I, I had a very high standard that we that I felt we had to meet, and if we did not get there, I would become frustrated and angry. And quickly after failure, I realized that I needed to become a better manager and a better leader. And so I spent probably the first six months after that startup failed just reading more books on management um, and leadership and really how to improve myself. And um, I talked to my brother-in-law about a couple of years later after the fact, and I apologized for being not the nicest person to him while he co-founded the company. And, you know, I could tell that he was genuinely very appreciative that I did that a couple of years later and was like, man, you're you're kind of rough. <laughs> like you've grown so much since then, but you were kind of rough. And so I think failing like failing it, that was really, really hit me and showed me that I did have to be a better person.
0: So you you reacted learning in terms of management, how to be a better manager. And how did you get a step into the sport business? Because from that to go to the 49ers, how was the move?
1: Yeah, good question. And so there's two really, two paths that really got me to the 49ers. And the, the first was while I was in business school the University of Chicago, I did a business school case competition with two of my friends um, that the NFL and MIT had hosted together and our team ended up winning it, fortunately. From there, you know, the, the winning prize was two Super Bowl tickets. And we, we turned on the Super Bowl tickets and said that we just wanted to meet with the NFL. I wanted to meet some officials and that we were looking for some jobs. And, you know, they kind of laughed and said, you know, no, seriously, how, how many tickets do you want? And, you know, you guys sent us to Grange and we're like, no, we'll just come to the NFL, like, and we'll, we'll just have a meeting. And so, throughout the course of that day, in those meetings, they told me that the 49ers were looking to hire and a couple people were willing to put in, you know, reference calls for me there. So that definitely really helped me out. And then the, the thing they say about business school is true. I had a, a, call, a peer that I had in business school that worked at the 49ers, and while I was, you know, the week I went over to the NFL, I saw him put a Facebook post out there. So this, you know, probably is going to date this podcast in the future if everyone wants to watch this, but, you know, Facebook was super popular, um, and he posted a picture of him at the 49ers um, headquarters, and I immediately messaged him and was like, how do I get a job here? I'm going to be interviewing soon. And so he really helped me out throughout the process a lot. Um, the interview process was pretty challenging. And so I'd say the combination of the two really together helped me get to the 49ers.
0: That was, if I'm not mistaken, that was an interesting time at at the 49ers uh, with uh, the scheduled launch of the new stadium with the Levi Stadium. Is that correct? That was two years before.
1: Yes, exactly. And so our team was hired in we were eight analysts at the time working in business strategy. And at that time in 2011, 2012, no one really had a business strategy team in sports, like one individual, two individuals, they they might have an intern. And we had a team of eight. And the goal of, you know, Jedin and Paragon and Allen team at that point, was really just to bring on a bunch of um, analysts that could come and help to make sure that the stadium opened on time, and that all the different projects were going to be ready. And what I mean by that, the main construction was going to be done, but there was several of these special side projects that were going on. So we wanted to do in-seat ordering when we launched Levi Stadium so that every seat could have in-seat delivery. Um, we were launching a
0: new at that time.
1: Yes, yes. Um, we were launching a restaurant and a retail store and a mobile app. And, you know, I can still remember that in-seat testing, we did it at Candlestick, which had no infrastructure and it was built, um, you know, a m- very long time ago. And we were doing beta testing that last year, and we we're testing out like you know we actually all served as runners ourselves, and we're testing out you know the vehicles that the, the packaging that the food was in to make sure that it held right, that it could be run right, and you know timing it out and figuring out the whole model on how it would all work, and you know those were definitely fun times before the stadium was coming up, and we were parking, we were working right next to the stadium, so you basically drive up and get to see it being built every day, um, which was which was something pretty cool to see.
0: So being a business analyst at that time, in the context of the 49ers, it's much more than being a business analyst. It's being an innovator and creating parks and trying new products and testing and improving.
1: Absolutely. There, there is so much. And one of the big benefits of working in sports that you know, I, don't, I, I didn't think I realized until I got there was... Um, how willing people are to talk to you and vendors and partners want to work with you to try and experiment new things when I had worked on um, you know the investing side and the consulting side, it was really hard to get people to talk to you and you had to pay them money like like we will pay you money will you talk to us and then maybe they 'd help you out but you know once I started working in sports, I quickly realized that people wanted to talk to you and they wanted to wanted to you know um, do some do some new challenging innovative things and One of the, the, I said that my previous career set me up. One of the things I did in my early career was I had made thousands of phone calls, thousands, thousands and thousands of phone calls, um, cold calls, um, researching industries. And so it was my natural inclination when I got to the 49ers to just pick up the phone and call people. And I call into like 1-800 numbers all the time. I I think one of the bigger innovations that we've had at the 49ers is is happy or not. And I just called into the 1-800 a number to happy or not, and I was like, "Hey, can I talk to the president?" And within like five minutes, I was talking to the president. If I was calling from a consulting firm or, or someone else, there's no way I would have gotten through, um, you know, that quickly to someone. And so I think that's something that really helps us out in sports. Is people want to work with our brands, and you know th- that can be very helpful,
0: especially when you build a new stadium that was meant and was as a number one the state of the art of the stadium, and it's still top five by far uh, so yeah a lot of traction to get people to help blending the best on what i understand and happy or not many people do not know what it is if you want to because you mentioned it if you want to yeah uh, explain a bit
1: happy or not is probably something you've seen and it's it's out there and it's a terminal. it's a uh, a little table and it has four buttons two red and two green one's a little redder and one's a little greener those are the happiest and the, the frowniest faces and it'll just ask you one simple question and so if you've been to an ikea they have them a lot in you know, ikeas that's where i first noticed them they also have them at like most tsa um screenings so as soon as you pass through a tsa screening it'll say how was your screening experience today and there'll be four faces Everywhere I see them now, I always had the, the happy face. Um, and I do notice them a lot more now that I've partnered with them in, in all the locations that they are.
0: Yeah, that's the same for me. Since a few years ago, you mentioned me, you put what was in airport mostly uh, into your stadium to evaluate the satisfaction of the fans. Now I see it everywhere. <laughs> uh, but so you, you go to the 49ers 10 years ago as a business analyst part of a team what is your dream? What is it you're thinking about? How do you do you, Do you envision any future? Do you have a specific goal?
1: What was my dream then? Or what is my dream now?
0: At that time, I'm sure it has changed.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, at that time it was to to be a team president for sure. And it was, I mean, I think I'm a a pretty ambitious person. Clearly my, my goal at the start is to be a president. Um, but you know that's that that was my goal. Like could come in, and I, I started as an analyst, the most junior position, like within the company, and and did have a goal and said, hey, one one day maybe I can make it there.
0: Nice. You still want to be the president?
1: You know, I, t- I tell people if if I ever get that offer, it's going to be really hard for me to turn down. Um, but I would say it's not like a driving force anymore. I would say that I'm very content and very happy in my life and where I am, and I don't have a Necessary yearning for, for more at, at this point. Um, and that's something that like 30 year old me could have never said. <laughs> um, but today I'm definitely content. And, and I think I realized how great of a, how great of a boss and president um, Al is and, and owner Jet is. And I realized that I'm very fortunate to have a great team. I have about um, 10 individuals on our 49ers team. We have a great elevate insights team. Um, I've worked with them now for a very long time and got to see a lot of them develop into the great leaders they are today. So um, I do enjoy my my time here a lot. And so I, I would say today I'm very happy. My my goal is just to continue to do the great work I am here at the 49ers. Um, but I will say that if, if someone ever put an offer in front of me, it'll be hard to turn down and it would definitely, I would definitely have a conversation, I'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, being chief strategy officer at the 49ers? What is the job to be done? And and going a bit further, what is a day in
1: your life? Yeah, good question. And so to be chief strategy officer really means that I help to build the strategy on the business side of the 49ers. So I don't touch the football side or the players or the salary cap and the negotiations, but all on the business side. Um, so things like, our our department runs our retail and our concessions. So making all of our retail decisions and all of our concessions of food and beverage decisions. So last year we moved to effectively uh, our member inclusive menu, which is an all-inclusive type of concept um, for our fans. And that was led and driven by our business strategy team. In addition to that, we also manage our business intelligence, our CRM, and our big data stacks um, to make sure that we can have some of the, some of the best retention, um, you know, within sports, we, we have about a 98, 99% retention rate for our fans, uh, for our season ticket holders. And then, and then we also, we, we capture all of our fan feedbacks so or through mechanisms like happy or not, or the executive huddle and surveys and focus groups. And we really look to create that, um, what we call our next generation fan experience. So we're constantly thinking about what's experience going to be like in five years, and how do we make sure that we're ready for that? And then, last but not least, we help out with strategic planning. So, you know, I'm actually in the middle of it right now, where we put together a five year strategic plan for the company. You know, did one five years ago, doing one now again, um, and we'll do one again in five years. So that strategic plan will really help to inform the overall direction of the of the 49ers and looking at things like where do we spend our capex and. Um you know who might be some of the potential leaders uh, within our company that will um, hopefully be here for a while? okay. so
0: that's interesting. you will be in the five years plan. How often do you be in the five years plan?
1: every five years, every five every years five years honestly yeah okay. yeah,
0: I've seen so many comp- companies working on five years plan and readjusting every year
1: <laughs> yeah no I won't, we'll we'll touch it every five years i I did forget to answer your you know the day of the day in your in, life the day of my life. But it's it's just a lot of phone calls with a lot of different people. And so we might have like 20 to different, 20, 30 different projects that are running at one given time with all the different running under, you know, the different directors and vice presidents in our group. Um, so a lot of catch up calls, making sure that things are running on time um, and that we're making sure that we're hitting our priorities that we set out for ourselves in the beginning of the year. And then I'd say for me, a lot of culture building. I think that's really important. Um, and I don't say that like it's a job because it's something they really enjoy, but just really making sure that all the employees are doing well, um, that they're learning, that they're growing, that they feel like that the job is meaningful for, for them. And so really look into like, so I have lots of conversations like one-on-ones with my team, um, do lots of offsites and things like that. So I'd say at this point for me, it's about making sure the culture is right um, and making sure that our priorities are being hit.
0: Interesting. A lot of culture and making sure your employees have the, the tools and the atmosphere to do the best of themselves, to give the best in themselves and be happy. Yeah. Happy or not. Do you apply happy or not? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. And how do you work with your other teams? How do you co- connect the strategy work that you build with your team with 20 to 30 projects is a lot with the other areas i don't know chief revenue officer or marketing or how do you connect and make sure you, you all work together on this and you're all on the same page
1: another great question so we we do that we have executive meetings every week so every monday our executive team meets and we start off like it's an hour-long meeting and the first 30 minutes might be out talking with us all having a conversation around something that's an important topic so like a lot over the last two years, it's been the pandemic and um, you know what, what, what we're doing. And then we'll roll into like department updates in the last 30 minutes. And so during those times, you'll definitely see like execs signal to another exec, like, hey, I'm working on this initiative, it's gonna impact you, like we should connect and talk to you. Like, we should talk about this like later. And so I think that meeting series is a good reminder to everyone, it's like, oh yeah, I need to like talk to like, you know, our CRO, or I need to talk to our CMO about this, so I'll mention this in this meeting. And then we'll get a meeting set up thereafter and we can talk through it. So I think it, it's important to have the execs align. And then at the same time, I wouldn't depend on the execs to necessarily roll it down. I think you, you start with the execs, but then you also go like the VP and director level. So then, you know, if I'm meeting with, call it our CRO, who's Brent Shobe, I will at the same time have someone meet with, you know, the VPs of those groups, whether it be Kevin or, or, or Dustin or, or Brad or whoever might be in their group. So I'll have our leaders work with their leaders as well. So that the the work that's actually being done, the people that are doing the, the work, um, will also be connected. And so hopefully those two things really do help to make sure alignment is there. But the reality is, is and I think this is true of every company everywhere, it's, not everyone has one voice. So it's there's going to be disagreement a lot. And I think it's important to get comfortable with that disagreement and to be able to move through that disagreement and to respect each other's opinions. And as I said a little bit earlier, ideas get better, you know, when you're pushed and challenged and when other people ha- are offering different opinions. So you also have to take it in the right way when you're moving with people and, and taking their feedback and um, be able to compromise and, and work with other departments. So I'd say it's very important to do to do that in collaboration. And, you know, it's not always there. It's not always there and it's not always easy.
0: That, that's part of the most challenging uh, things, uh, you believe, in, uh, in the corporate world?
1: It is. I mean, and I'd say it is for me in, in particular. Um, and I'd say people maybe from a strategy or analytical background because I'd say um, pretty logical and rational oriented and want to solve problems right away. And, you know, a lot of time alignment is not about solving a problem right away. It's about building a long-term relationship where you, you trust someone and sometimes that means that you're not doing what you feel is the most logical thing to do, I, I, because that's not the best thing for everyone overall. It might be the best thing for your objective, but it might not be the best for everyone overall. And I think, you know, having that level of patience is is sometimes challenging because I like to, I like to run like real fast. <laughs> um, and when, when, when I'm not running as fast, like it it was challenging for me
0: frustrating frustrating that that comes to you know a lot of people working for example in the digital space you know one one of the biggest frontier is internal frontier uh because you have to push your limits all the time explore new solutions test them you never know if it's going to work and so you know leadership sometimes is oh so what is your selling process inside the company if you convince how do you define what you want to work on and then how do you sell it internally to make sure it it happens.
1: Yeah. I know. And you, you said the key word right there. And so when most people ask me about how do we get internal objectives through and my, my peers and they're, they're asking and I can see they're truly curious about it. You said the one word that matters. It's selling. Like you're, you're, you're constantly selling. And so if I look at some of our best sellers out there, um, I've talked to them and I've said I've asked them about their approach, uh, probably because I wanted to become a seller myself at one point. Um, though I think I'm, I think I'm through that, Um, but you know, basically, and I talked to one of our best sellers and he said, well, he comes in and he just listens and he he listens and then he finds their objections and he doesn't try and solve their objections on the spot because he knows that he's not going to be able to solve them on the spot. So he listens, he finds their objections, he writes them down, he takes them back. And he, he, by the end of the call, he makes sure to stop the second call where you can then talk to them about how we solve their objections. So the first time you present any idea, I try and present it pretty loosely. And I also understand that most ideas that I present probably are going to like raise some hairs because people know that I'm going to be working in their areas more than, um, you know, maybe than some other, other execs that tend to just overlap a lot. But overall, you know, once we, once we communicate that out and let them know that we'll be working together, Sorry, I lost my train of thought right there. Can you repeat the question? That usually no, doesn't the happen. Is the is
0: that the selling process to first. Oh yeah. You design the, the the projects you want to work on. How do you sell it? Which partly you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, to make sure it happens and because it, at the end you want it to happen because you know it's going to make a difference.
1: Exactly, and I think using that selling mechanism and being patient and thinking about that, you know, you don't need to get it to happen today. And so, it took me about eighteen months. I'd say of meanings to get our member inclusive menu across the finish line. Um, And that's a true 18 months from the first conversation. And then people ask me a lot of questions like, well, what does this mean? Like, how does this impact this group? How does this impact this group? Does this group really want it? And so we went out and then we did a lot of work to like basically answer all those questions from all those different execs. And, you know, once they were out of objections, um, you know, then then we started to get the yeses. And, you know, once people got a little bit more comfortable. I think that's something else that's true. You you really have to make sure people are comfortable. And you're going to be very comfortable with your own idea because you've been thinking about it and working on it for a while. Um, but other people that just hear it for the first time aren't going to be very comfortable the first time they hear your idea.
0: Yeah, and um, I understand the point that we mentioned, that that you mentioned that strategy, sometimes you have a lot with a lot of areas. Uh, yeah. So. The borders have not quite blurred and common interest has to win. Got it. What would be in in your 10 years at, at, at the 49ers? What do you think are the biggest accomplishments, your legacy at the 49ers?
1: Yeah, honestly, some of the biggest accomplishments I feel like are when some of the younger members of the team win win their awards and win things like 30 Under 30 or Rising, you know, rising Stars because I think that you know, to me, that instills that we're doing the right things and we're building the right culture and we're, we're teaching the right things or putting the right processes in place. You know, if, if people talked about it in 10 years, from now, I'd, I'd hopefully would just want them to say I left the place better than when, when I got here and then I helped to create a sustainable process of success. So it's not, I think, just about the 10 years I'm here, but hopefully setting up the organization for future success.
0: Hmm. And you guys have done a lot from the executive huddle happy or not. I mean, you, you've launched a bunch of new initiatives that no teams have done before. That comes with the process of innovation from the 49ers. It's not only the 49ers itself, but it's about the capacity of building partnership with third parties. Uh, and you guys source a lot. It's the best in each field to complete the offer. I don't know if I express it well. I'm sure you're going to do it a way better, but I think it's a big difference between the 49ers and many organizations that are very self-centered. Yeah. You got opened and always looking for the best yeah. that is done out there.
1: That's absolutely true. And I do love that about our, our philosophy and our approach. Um, and there are companies that won't look to, like, we can do it in-house. Like, hey, we could just do this. We could just do this. Um, we definitely have an attitude of approach of who's doing its best. Like, who's the best out there at this right now? And even if we don't partner with them, let's talk to them. Um, because again, with our brand, they'll probably want to talk to us. And so let's learn and let's let's figure this out. and if, the, if it works for a partnership, then we'll, we'll go down that road. So I think that's definitely an openness that we, we have within our within our group. I think another thing that helps us out too, something I started to mention over the last years, we take a lot of phone calls. and so I think that came back from my consulting days when I made a lot of phone calls. Were, and then I also, when I worked in private equity, we would look at about a hundred companies to invest in one. And I would write like a review of a hundred companies, like about a year. And I mean, so that's like two reviews, like a week that would be pretty thorough that you're, you're working through. So when I first came here, I sort of set a goal about a hundred vendors a year. I wanted to talk to a hundred vendors a year. And then we created a database and started to not score the vendors, but to track like the conversation that were happening and that they get to a second conversation and that they get to a demo and, you know, where did we go with this process? And we started to, you know, tag them against each other. And, you know, these, these companies are similar to these companies. We developed little um, verticals within sort of business strategy, tech vendor space. And it's not something that we would look to, you know, we, we did create a consulting firm in, in Elevate Sports Ventures, but not something that we'd look to monetize. That's something that we just built internally for ourselves to basically understand who we should be partnering with. Because what was happening internally was a lot of vendors would come, they would call me and then they would call Kevin from Partnerships and Meg for our marketing. And they'd each give their different pitches. And then all of a sudden, like me, Megan, Kevin would be in a room together and we'd have an idea like, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's build something new and great. I've got this partner that's perfect. And then the other two would have a partner that was perfect and everyone wants to use their partner. And so I was like, this this needs to not happen anymore. We all need to be aligned as a company and figure this out. So, you know, built a database and and really had it, um, spearheaded it from our business strategy team to um, really put together this this list together for us and work with some of these partners. And there's not a partner that reaches out that we really don't look at. And so um, I used to respond to 100% of them. I, I have to admit that that's probably fell off in the last year or two of responding to every vendor. But at least we'll look at your email and like decide if I want to like um, engage and I'll check out your website and do, give it a quick like minute or two to see if it's something that's of interest or not.
0: Yeah. And that's how I get I got to meet you, by the way. Pitch you an ID. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some years ago and here we are today. And yes. that's interesting. And when you say partnering, sometimes... You don't use the services, obviously, and you can't work with everyone. You want to work with the best according to your needs, uh, short and long term. But how do you partner? What is the model of partnering for the 49ers? Is it investing, taking equity, uh, just provider? What is the model that you guys like to develop?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it varies. It definitely varies depending on which partner it is and where the company is in their development. Um, we do ask for if it i will ask if i'm really interested in a company where they are in their race cycle and so are they in series a series b that helps me for two ways one if the further they are it tells me um you know that they've had some traction that they've probably have had some customers they probably have had some other investors that have looked at them um, we have a pretty good understanding of who' are the major investors out there and those tend to be signaling items on okay you know if this company has injuries some You know, that investment, they're they're clearly, someone's thinking they're doing something good, you know? And so we will definitely look at that and we'll look for investment because we want to be smart about it as well. At the same time, there's some companies that we partner with that, you know, like we partner with SAP, like they're not going to give us equity, they're a fortune, you know, 50 company. So we'll build a a different structure for that. So we will look at each independent situation and, and try and determine what's best for us. But I will say we do think about we do think about equity and um, having shares in the company, and that's because we know that if we do partner with them, we can help like really drive that value within their company.
0: You've got good example, no? Uh, I've met a few. So you take part of the equity when you take equity, you minority stakeholder.
1: Yes, I mean but there are different groups within the Niners that, like you know, Brono in particular, who's our chief investment officer and prologerly 49ers Enterprises, that do make you know investments um, in the in the companies that I tend to look at. Yes, definitely minority. Um, I'm, we're not trying to drive that company. We're we're trying. We're we're basically doing a new innovation with a company that we feel will benefit that company greatly.
0: Hmm. So it means if you're a minority, you can use the 49ers, if I'm correct, to build a great track record of a successful solution and then expand the solution to sports, business, and other markets eventually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So a lot of you days about understanding what you need and from what you need, what are the vendors that can help and how you can structure the team, help the team make it happen, makes the solutions happen. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, you've been working with fantastic leaders uh, and work in the Silicon Valley, where it's, a, I mean, it's a quite a competitive uh, market where, with a lot of smart brains like you. What have you learned about leadership? Because you, it seems you made a pillar of your success, leadership and managing a team. Um, so, because you, you, manage, you manage quite a team, by the way, and you network with a lot of people to make, you coordinate a lot of people to make things happen. What do you think of the true um, key success of a leaders? Key success is not correct in English. Sorry, so key points
1: of a leader. Yeah, I definitely subscribe to um, the servant leadership approach and philosophy, which effectively is all about you know it sort of flips it on its head and is you work for your people, and so it's 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 an approach of what can I do for you. So for me and my team, I'm constantly looking for opportunities for them, opportunities for them to grow both mentally and financially like in, the, in in their careers. And I think that that care and that approach is recognized by the individuals. So it, it is, you said this earlier, it's putting those, putting people in the right place for them to succeed. And I think it resonates really well with the individuals. And this started with, for me, like it was one of the first books I'd read right after I had left Snap It. And the, the key line that just resonated with me and so simple, but is I was ruling with authority, like when I was at Snap It, like you have to do this because I am the president and I have said that you must do this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to get angry. Um, you know, and then I moved more towards an influence model where, you know, you, you really want to make sure that employees feeling great about themselves. You, you spend the time in hiring the right person, making sure that they're the right person um, and that they can do the job, and then once they're there, you, you trust them to do the job, and you, you give them an idea of what to do, and you you don't be mic you don't micromanage it, and you let them see what results come with it. I think there's one more probably adage I use a lot there, which is, you know, is it wrong or is it different? And so for for me, this is an, an adage I use for myself, and I've instilled it in my team. It's um, you know, I felt I was right a lot growing up. I probably, my wife would probably tell you I still feel that way. <laughs> um, but, you know, when other, people's, when other people do things, it's going to be different than wh- what you've done. And so your first inclination is to be like, well, that's not right. Like, it should be done in this way. Um, but you have to sit there and pause for a second and see, like, well, is that approach also right? And if it's different, like, you still push it through. And, and I would say you, you have the individuals do it in the way that they do it, even if it's not necessarily, um, you know, what my boss might be looking for but it allows that individual to grow and then it allows my boss to see it in a different way. Um, and so I think the approach of just constantly supporting your the people that work for you and work with you um, and empowering them. And the more people that you have that wants to follow you, instead of have to follow you, the better position you're going to be in.
0: Want to follow you, not have to follow you. That's super interesting and tough to not easy to say and not easy to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of time and a lot of patience for sure. Exactly. Not, not, not something that's built overnight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in the comment, you know, the comment you shared with me before, there's something about leadership you mentioned that tells them what to do, not tells them how to do.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, that's Gen- general patent. And it's, it's a great, it's a great lesson as well. And for me, i love doing it. i have a business plan that's being worked on right now and i don't want to be prescriptive with it because i have an idea of how it could look but once it comes to me it's going to be different and then the combined product later will be better because it'll have multiple different people's approaches in it whereas like it could have just been what i said and i don't think it would be nearly as good as what's going to happen that the combination of thoughts and ideas um is really where i think like lightning and locks. yeah
0: interesting if an who or what inspires you to keep pushing the limits
1: i would say honestly my parents probably like still <laughs> inspire me and push me like i i still like i'm I'm like 40 years old, i know but i still like you know still love to talk, call my parents and you know and they when they tell me they're, they're proud of me it's like still probably one of the most meaningful things i i don't know why but it but it is um, and I and I push for them because I know it makes them proud. And um they're they're a little bit on the older side. So I know that they look forward to it like as well. Like if I give them a call and say that, hey, we were in, you know, I'll probably call them later and tell them that we did this podcast and they'll be like super excited and, and will want to listen to it.
0: Yeah. I had the chance to meet very quickly when you came to Japan to one to Tokyo to one of our events.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He was so <laughs> he was so happy and so proud on that trip, you know, and so to be able to take my dad on that trip was, was a very cool moment.
0: Hmm. Now, if we go to back to the sports industry, I mean, in a few figures, what the 49ers mean in terms of business. And then we go to very quick questions. And where do you, where do you think as the drivers for, to keep growing? Because it's not easy to keep growing all the time. Uh, so especially when some of the incomes are for the NFL, uh, you don't master all the income sources as a team. So can you give us a bit of a glance of, you know, uh the key figures that we should know and where you think the growth will come from?
1: The key figures in the sports industry or within the niner report?
0: Towards the 49ers.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I'll Al, Al's our team president and I think, you know, and Jed's our owner. And so I think everything starts with Jed and his approach and um, you know, the man he is and I think he's a very family oriented man. And I think because of that, we have a very family oriented culture. Um, and I think that sets the tone for the organization. I think Al is, um, I always say this, he's been my favorite boss. And that's been, you know, for I've had, I've had maybe a hundred over, over the last 20 years um, as I've worked through like a variety of consulting different roles. Um, he's constantly pushing. Um, that man like does not rest at all. Um, and he's constantly pushing and driving and pushing, you know, and, you know, me to be better, better at what I do every day. And, um, you know, our drive to happy or not, I'd say was definitely because of him in, in real time. I thought we were doing really great with our surveys that we getting done post game. And he, he just wasn't having it. I know you went to our horizon summit in the past and, yeah. you know, I, I, I know year one, he wasn't like, I was very happy with year one. I thought we did great. He, he, he was not, <laughs> I and mean, he wanted to push us to be better. And so his drive is, is incredible um and i think his vision is as well you know it's not many people that can be president of a, of a team and then start a sports agency you know at the same time and lead both and um he does and that's just the the type of drive he has and, and it's so it's tough for me to sit back and uh, when i have al it's like pushing and driving you know in front of me um you know as we as i look at like other leaders within within our team you know i think our exec team is really strong one of the strongest there is yeah you know, i wouldn't say in just even sports i think we have great leaders across our executive team that we, we would be successful in other industries um like as, as an exact team wow. um,
0: but where yeah. do you think the 49 business has potential to grow is it more from corporate development with for example elevate the ventures is it yeah. more in, where, where do you picture growth? Because uh, many people in yes. this industry, you know, says, okay, my sponsorship, sky is not the limit in sponsorship. TV yeah. rights, yeah. you know, NFL is selling the deals. Uh, so yeah. where, 100%. where do you see yeah. growth in your case?
1: Yeah, a few key areas. So I think, one, there is an opportunity in partnership. And I'd say atypical than where we were before because sports betting is about to open up within california within the next couple of years and then we are now but we we now have a meeting that we we hold about once a month called emerging technologies where we're looking at not only sports betting crypto like nft blockchain all these different areas and i think it's so nascent right now Uh, like honestly like i'm not i don't i don't have a firm command of it yet i would say i know enough to be dangerous but that's you know only being dangerous. Um and so I'd say that's definitely an area within partnership that, that is intriguing. I'd say on top of that, looking at some of our other like investments that Prague is doing in underneath 40s Enterprises, we have a major investment in Leeds, um, the Premier League club. And maybe that could strategy could expand or not. Um, but that certainly I think is an area for, for growth and opportunity. Um, and then, as you talk about some of these other businesses that, that we 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 have launched, so we've opened up um, a couple of gyms, physical therapy centers. We we have a couple of high school sports shows. We plan on, you know, uh, starting a, a, a few more sports shows um, in addition to the ones that we we currently have. So I think there's there's areas across the board for us to own it. It really depending on uh, which executive is leading it. And so I think we have, as as I just said, I think we have a really hungry. Younger, really strong exec team. and each one of those execs is pushing like for, for different areas of opportunity.
0: It's interesting because you don't focus only on your core business. You extend a lot to other areas. Yeah, uh, which is not common. It's uh, where you were mentioning. You guys have a stake in Leeds, right? Yes. There, I think there's eleven clubs now in Premiership owned by US compa- US investors. It's crazy the attraction from Premier League for U.S. investors.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the the league is very uh, powerful, and it's been consistent. The Premier League, and so as 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 far as investment goes, it's it's pretty interesting. The crazy thing though is about relegation, and so you know we don't have that in American sports, <laughs> and you know Leeds finished just out of relegation zone. Um, this year so it made for some really interesting watch watching you know for me here back in the states but i can imagine for our Leeds fans back in leeds you, you know what what a crazy time the last the last few weeks of the season must have been um and as you think about that from a business side like but those are much different business propositions running a premier league team versus a champions team um and so that's something crazy in in premier league that i just had, like that's not in american sports That's super interesting like could you imagine like instead of getting like the number one pick in the nfl draft that like you know the team that finished last like just gets relegated or goes into placing in another football league i'm not going to name another football league um, to, to, but like it would be very different it would be very different
0: it is it is i guess part of the traction of the league is of football, soccer, and the Premier League in Europe is, as you say, stability. It's a product that's grown, international fan base, TV rights, sales that are increasing yeah. a lot and makes a business. Yeah. So, I'm curious to see in 5, 10 years uh, how it will evolve, you know, the TV okay. rights and the new negotiations um, and where, yeah, where growth would come from for the teams, for football, uh, soccer for uh,
1: teams. I mean... I can't imagine Amazon and Apple um, YouTube and Hulu not bidding large sums of money. I mean, you're already seeing uh, Amazon has won a lot more broadcast rights in the last year, year and a half. And these are companies that have what I like to say, like war chests of money, like, and can, can operate at a different level. So I think they'll win in, in, in in ways that they want to, and they'll get broadcast in ways that they want to. And it will, We'll get to a place like you said in ten years. Where, you know, there'll be there'll be I think a lot of different different mediums to to watch your sports on.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because TV rights you always think it's reached the top, and there's always new players getting in. Yeah, always. Yeah, we've seen some, we've seen some cases in Brazil uh, with the NBA. A brand got the TV rights. Oh, yeah? but advisor.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: So it's interesting because they said that's very platform. interesting. I want to connect with the fans. Yeah. So that's very big. interesting. Two of the broadcasters, one was a traditional uh, pay TV and the other one the brand.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Big move.
0: Big move. So you see the merge of sponsorship with media rights uh, packages. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes so, sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like In- that. Before we go to a final list of questions, it's going to be funny for you. Uh, you are still pushing, you're always pushing to limit yourself. I mean, I know you're hungry. I know you're ambitious in the right way, um, not in the, you're not a shark, uh, but you're also quite adventurous. I mean, you've done crazy things uh, and you like to do crazy things. And I understand um, that you're going to be 40 and that you, you have another, Crazy dream. What is it?
1: Yeah, well, well no, now I can't have my parents listen to this podcast until after my birthday because they will probably <laughs> um, freak out a little bit once they hear this. Um, but I'll be going wing walking on my 40th birthday. So I, I have it all booked. I'm very, very excited about this. And so as I talked to my... I, could, I literally couldn't get a single friend to do it with me. This is why I know i married right because my wife like said yes within a second and everyone else told Morning. me no. Money is going yes. to do it with you. Yes. So... Um, What I mean by wing walking is I'll be going up in in a plane that has, um, you know, those two wings, um, you know, a a bi-wing. And once you get to sufficient altitude, you walk out of the plane and onto the wing and strap in to the wing while they do like loopy loops and twists and spins and um, nose dives and things like that. So um, I think it'll be very, very fun. And I'm like getting excited just like talking about it now. But um, as I talked to all my friends about it, they told me that I was crazy. Um, but I just think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: It's going to be like James Bond, but for real. And are you attached, or how did it work?
1: Yeah. So you effectively they they have like a little like pole that's like on the wing, and you just have like a carabiner like on your back, and you basically like walk up to the pole and like latch yourself in, and then. Like once you're latched in, um, you give them a thumbs up, and then they start to do all the little tricks that um, <laughs> make it really interesting.
0: That's that's quite scary. That's quite fantastic. I would say I'm cool. Cr- I can't wait to see this video, and next will be SpaceX. It seems <laughs> 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 a new civilian. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Flying. Oh, fantastic! No? yes, conclude that podcast. I've got a series of questions, quick questions for quick answers. Okay. Um, very much inspired from Marcel Proust questionnaire used by James Lipton, uh, that you might know, uh, Actor Studio. Okay. It's adapted. So, ready? Yes. What is your favorite all time athlete and why?
1: I'd say LeBron James because uh, I'm from Cleveland and he won us a title. Nice.
0: Fair enough. What is your favorite event?
1: Um, World Cup in South Africa, United States versus Algeria. Landed Donovan scoring a goal in the ninety-first minute.
0: Oh. What is your favorite sound
1: at Levi Stadium? Favorite sound. Ooh. Um, so I can't hear this when I'm at the game, but when I watch the replay, it's the play-by-play announcer where, when he goes that touchdown San Francisco, but he like slows it down so it's like touch. Down, Send, francisco Cisco. I like love that. Um at the game itself, it's probably like the Awoo chants, which are like fading and like not there, but they're like when we get a first down, um, it's what we do and it's it's I like it. It's good chat.
0: What is the thing you do if you want to cheer up and be ready for a big pitch?
1: Get a hug from my wife. Um Ooh. my wife, <laughs> she's She's very, very, you've met her. She's a very smiley, um, energetic person. And she like, she has very good energy. So um, just a hug from her. Beautiful.
0: What is your favorite
1: word? Ooh, I've I've never, I've never thought of that, that question. I I have no idea. I'm literally stumped. I have no idea what my favorite (laughs) word is. I'd love to say smile. Smile might be like, like a word that like, um, I like things that are associated with happiness
0: for sure. Happy, happy. What profession or than on your own would you like to attempt?
1: Um, I joked about becoming a cornhole player um, recently, which I think I really would like to do. I, I think if I ever take a year off, I'd probably want to try out something like darts or cornhole, things, like, things that you could practice like a lot and see if you can like, become better. I, I, I think that'd be fun.
0: What profession would you not
1: like to do? Singing. I'm a very, very bad singer. It's it's probably like the only thing that like truly embarrasses me. Like I like like when people want me to do karaoke, I'm like, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this.
0: I think you could be very famous on TikTok if you were wing flying singing. <laughs> <laughs> that could yeah. be a nice one. <laughs> yes, yes. If you had one more hour every day, what would you do?
1: Um I'd spend it with my wife. I'd probably cook cook a nicer meal. I like cooking a lot. What's your I'm favorite? Probably, my my favorite thing to cook. I like making blackened fish a lot. Like I I have a really like I put like a, like some Indian spices in it, like a subtle Indian spice in it that like makes it like really good. Last night I made like a uh, lemon crumb fresh linguini. Um, it was really fresh and really good. Cool
0: last one not easiest if heaven exists what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates
1: it sounds r- r- weird but like you did it the right way
0: nice thank you Moon thank you so much for this great time uh, this podcast is ending now hope you listeners enjoy it uh, I wish you the best for what's coming uh, I want to see the TikTok of, the, of your 30th birthday video <laughs> Yes. and We'll keep in touch and thank you again, Moon.
1: That sounds great. Truly proud to chat with you right now.
0: (laughs) Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy.